All right, so today we have a special speaker. Every speaker that teaches on Sunday morning is special. Jeff, if you could come now. Um, Jeff King came to this city as a free agent. He was not born and raised here. I love hearing from people in Madison that are from here and that they've stayed here and they've served. That's great. Jeff came from up north, and he came to serve, and he's been serving. And so this morning, we're so grateful to have him as, as our guest speaker. Um, in so many ways, he doesn't feel like a guest because he's a friend of us, so you feel like one of us. So I greet you as a guest and as one of us. So thanks for coming. I feel like one of you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you can't beat it. It's wonderful. Uh, the guy with the long beard playing the guitar, that's my oldest son. And uh, it's interesting because when he was a baby, my wife and I were going to a, a, a wedding, and he was an infant. And it got real quiet in this big Catholic church, and Judah went, So, amen. I, I want to uh, thank uh, Pastor Lance for the invitation to come and preach and, and uh, just to be here this morning. And I want to thank the leadership team. We've gotten to know them, uh, wonderful men. And uh, the, part, the uh, services that you've had us participate in, we had a worship prayer service together. You invited us for the Easter service. That was wonderful. Um, and it's just been good to get to know you all. I, I, the youth service was outstanding. Uh, that, that was just incredible. Um, so it, it's uh, good to see that, that that says a lot. It says a lot about the youth. It says a lot about their parents. It says a lot about the leadership of, of the church. And uh, I've, got a, I've got a little bit of a bone to pick uh, with Ruby Cluton. She doesn't even know that. But she shared that night about being an ambassador for Christ, and I went, she just preached my best sermon, and, I, and, and she's not even as old as I am. So, <laughs> so it, was, it was wonderful, and we just uh, want to thank you all, and, and uh, I better shut up and preach. Yeah, my, my wife goes, that means stay on clock, son, or husband. So I have uh, two favorite subjects that I like to share on, and they kind of leak out of everything I preach. Uh, but my two favorite subjects to preach on are, are on grace and the heart of the Father, the love of God. And um, when Pastor Lance asked me to preach, and it was going to be Father's Day, you naturally think, well, that, you know, I'll preach on the heart of the Father. But I, I, something inside me said, preach on grace. So I, said, I told Lance, I said, I'll preach on Father's Day as long as I don't have to preach on physical fatherhood. The heart of the father that I'd be fine with. And he said, Jeff, grace is good. So I'm going to share with you uh, about grace this morning. Just some, it's really a, an introduction to grace or a primer on grace, if you will. Um, 
kind of uh, what I had a sense that the Lord wanted to do is prime the pump for a fresh uh, understanding of grace and for us to, to look at it together. But then if there are things that you hear the Holy Spirit speak to your heart this morning about grace from the scripture or from something that I might say, that you take that home with you and, and dwell on that and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal more to you about the grace of God. Look at that. And Kristen did a wonderful job of making slides for me, and Lydia's going to, she's going to try, I'm going to try to keep even with her. She'll probably, uh, uh, my daughter Sarah tries to keep up with me at the, at the church where I've been pastoring. So anyhow, grace. First scripture, let's look at it together. It's uh, first John, or chapter, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 16. It says, from the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. And we could stop there and I could, uh, we could go back to worship because that's what I love to do. Uh, to, to just think about that. Selah on that. Ponder that. From the fullness of his grace, we've all received one blessing after another. That's the NIV. Some other translations say, from the fullness of his grace, we have received grace upon grace. <laughs> one translation says, we've received grace heaped upon more grace. You can't outdo grace. You can't get enough of grace. And I didn't, this was I, I say this in jest and fun, but the reality is the only place you can get grace is the throne of God's grace. You can't go to Walmart. They have lots of stuff, but if you're going to go get grace, you've got to go to the throne of God, the throne of grace. And so we're going to look at three definitions of grace or aspects of grace. Actually, they're not complete definitions, but three aspects of grace. Um, and... and Look at this. She is good. I like it. So three aspects of grace. We're going to look at three aspects of grace and three scriptures that go along with those aspects that define those things. And then a fourth point. And, and I was going to say, and we'll be out later in the afternoon. No, we'll be done. In so saving grace. The first aspect is saving grace. The definition for saving grace is God's unmerited favor. It's his undeserved love, unmerited in any way. We can't earn it. We can't uh, do anything but receive it. And so the scripture that goes along with that is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And Kristen, as she put the slides together, got them really nice, or just verse by verse. So I'm going to read through them verse by verse. You'll see them on the screen, and I will stop occasionally and say something about that verse. So the first three verses in Ephesians chapter 2, um, the first three verses talk about what a sinner looks like. And it says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. That's the reality. As for all of us, we were dead in our transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And then verse 3 says this, All of us also lived among them at one time, 
gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we are by nature objects of wrath. Those three verses give a real good description of what a sinner looks like. I, that, that, that is a good description of my heart uh, prior to knowing Christ and still uh, wrestle with things. But it says, gratifying the cravings of the sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature objects of his wrath. Wow. By, 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 by the nature that my sinful nature in me, I, I'm an, uh, by nature an object of his wrath. Aren't you glad for the next verse? The first word in verse 4 says, but. But. <laughs> Woo! But. But. Because of his great love for us. That's the Father's heart. But because of his great love for us. We don't have to stay in that sinful state. We don't have to stay, stay in that state of deserving his wrath because of his great love for us, because he's rich in mercy, the, the next phrase says in that verse. But because of his great love, because he's rich in mercy, verse 5 says we've been, um, he's made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace God's unmerited favor. You didn't do anything to earn it. You didn't do anything to deserve it. It's undeserved love. It's his grace that saves us. Deserving of wrath, but receiving favor. That's good. Woo! I, 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 was that good, Judah? Does that kind of echo like it did when you were two? We deserved his wrath, and we receive his favor. What a great God. What an awesome reality that that's what God is like. And so it goes on to say in verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. My mother was an English teacher. I used to teach school too. Do you get that adjective? Incomparable. Riches, incomparable riches of God's grace, expressed in his kindness. See, God is, is a God of grace. God is a God of kindness. In the first verse that we looked at today, it's like he's a God of blessing who bestows blessing, grace upon grace. That's his heart. That's the Father heart of God. Uh, uh, it's what David was sharing on the holiness of God. It causes us to run to him because we know what his heart is like. Wow. And then in verse 8 to 10, uh, it gives us the definition of unmerited favor. It gives us the definition of salvation that we all uh, share. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now, in other words, we become the, through Christ, we become the object of God's favor instead of his wrath. I don't often do this, but I feel like we're supposed to this morning. Can you, can you repeat with me? I am the object of God's favor in Christ. Let's say that together. I am the object of God's favor in Christ. Me too. I'm the object of God's favor in Christ. 
Oh, the glorious riches of his grace. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Grace is God's part. His unmerited favor is God's part. Faith or believing is our part. Judah's younger brother has a degree in graphic design, and he, he, he's a creative, and he does big wall art. The floor-to-ceiling on, on the sanctuary in our church, it says, by grace alone, 10-foot letters about 60 feet long. By, and that's kind of our theme, not just as a church. That's our, my personal theme. It's, it's by grace alone. Faith, our part is faith, but it's by God's grace. You can't add to the gospel of grace. It's not the gospel plus something. It's by grace alone. God did it. It's accomplished. It's his work. And I just have to receive it by faith. I believe in it. And I receive my salvation and I become a child of God. Woo! I like the way it echoes in here, brother. (laughs) This is good. (laughs) I better be careful. (laughs) We can't earn our salvation. We can't earn our salvation. It's the gift of God. Unmerited favor, undeserved, a free gift because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. Then that's through verse 9. Verse 10 goes on to say this. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, good works comes into the equation, but it's after we're saved. It's those good works have been prepared for us in advance of our salvation. Now that I'm saved, I've got good news to share. I can do good things that represent Christ in the earth. And so I don't get saved by good works. I get to do good works because I'm saved. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I get to do the works of God because now the life of Christ is living in me. And he empowers me. His grace empowers me. And I can just live for him. And it's then I do good works because he's doing them through me. Not saved. I'm saved by grace, not by good works. But the good works follow my salvation. I don't earn salvation through them. So saving grace, God's unmerited favor, his undeserved love. We deserve God's wrath, but we receive his favor by faith because of grace. So each one of these definitions, I thought we should stop for just a minute and briefly respond to the reality of God's word. So uh, let's stop and respond, but I'd like to show one slide. No, one more. Yes. It, that's magic to me. I, I am so untechnical. I, thank you for the magic, Lydia. Hebrews 4.16 says this, and we'll look at this verse each time we respond. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. That's where we get it. If you get grace, you've got to go to the throne of grace. And we can come to it with confidence because of the blood of Jesus. So that we may receive mercy Mercy is we don't get what we deserve. It's a simple definition. So that we might, might receive mercy, or, and, and then it goes on to say, and find grace to help us. Grace, then, is the strength to do what God's called us to do. We get what we don't deserve. So it says, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Saving grace helps us to become saved. 
So let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, if someone is here today and they heard your definition of a sinner read, gratifying the desires of our flesh and have worldly passions, and they identified with that and they've never received you as Savior, never received your forgiveness because of what you accomplished on the cross, never received your grace, your unmerited favor because they're still living in that sinful place. But God, they, they've said in their heart, but God, Jeff, what you said, I, I want that unmerited favor. I repent of my sin. I don't need to live like that any longer. God will come and live in me and live through me. So thank you for sending Jesus, Father. I forsake my sin. And I ask you, Jesus, to come and take the throne of my heart that you would rule my life, that I might be saved by the saving grace of God. Thank you for that salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I didn't ask you to acknowledge it, but I would ask you to talk to Pastor Lance so that he can follow up with you. And... Uh, help you be initiated into that walk of faith with Christ. Second definition or aspect of grace is sanctifying grace. Sanctifying grace can be defined as the desire and the power to do the will of God. The word sanctif sanctification or sanctify uh, means to be set apart for the purposes of God. It's where David talked about holiness this morning. It's the word where holiness comes from. Uh, and so it means to be set apart for the purposes of God. Now once I have received Christ by saving grace, Jesus comes and lives in me, and now that, that same grace helps me to live for him. So I'm set apart for his purposes and his use. And the definition for that is the desire and the power to do the will of God. I didn't include this, uh, this slide, but I'm going to share this text with you. It's... Uh, I should have put it in a slide, and I didn't. It's 2 Timothy 1, verse 9. It, it says this, 2 Timothy 1, verse 9. It says, He has saved us, saving grace, and called us to a holy life, sanctifying grace, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and his grace. Let me put it all together. 2 Timothy 1, verse 9. He has saved us and called us to, be, to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, it's not by works, but because of his own purposes for us and his grace. So the scripture that we'll look at is Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. And it says this in, in verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That's where it starts, and it's, it's talking about uh, saving grace that we just talked about from uh, Ephesians. So he's saying, for the grace of God that brings salvation, saving, has appeared to all men. And then it goes on to say, in verse 12, talking about this same grace, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So not only does it save us, but there's a power in it, and that power teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. 
And it, instead, it, it helps us live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Because the life and the Spirit of Christ now lives in me, and that grace empowers me to live for him. And so I can say no to ungodliness and worldly pain. I don't have to uh, uh, say yes to the cravings of my flesh anymore. There's, the temptation is still there. I still may sin. But there is a power in me that teaches me to say no to that. And it's, and it's a teaching. It's sanctification is a process. It happens over time. It's as we yield more and more of our heart to the Lord. And so it's sanctifying grace. It's the desire and the power to do God's will. It is grace working in us that causes us to desire to please God rather than please ourselves. All of a sudden, there's a, a, a desire in me to please God. I, I want to please him in all that I do. And, and I don't know about you, but I've tried to pull myself up by the bootstraps for years, and all I do is rip the straps off the boots. I, I, you know, it doesn't work. There has to be a power outside of myself to live godly. And that power is sanctifying grace. And so I call out for Jesus and say, Jesus, you help me live the way you want me to because I can't do it in my own strength. It's the desire and the power to do the will of God. Sanctifying grace. The desire to please God empowers us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to please him, to have a desire to please him more than to desire to please myself. Verse 13 goes on to say, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God, of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then in verse 14 he says, who gave himself, in speaking of our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all wickedness, saving grace, and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, sanctifying grace, that, they, that are his very own to do what is good or who are zealous for good works. That's the next definition of grace that we're going to get, which is supernatural enabling grace. But before we get there, let's stop and pause and respond. Again, knowing that Hebrews 4.16 says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Let's go there with confidence as we pray. Let's receive mercy and find grace to help us allow sanctifying grace to have its way in our hearts. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for sanctifying grace the desire and the power to do the will of God. Give us, may we yield our hearts to that grace that we might say no to worldly passions and instead live godly lives that we might represent you well in the world. And Lord, each of us have different areas of our lives that need to be set aside for your purpose. Each of us have different areas of our lives that you are sanctifying in us. And so we invite you by your spirit to reveal a specific area in my heart where I need 
Maybe I, 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 first of all, I need the desire to do your will. I'm, I'm resisting that desire. So overcome that desire with your grace, God. I want to do your will, God. Give me the grace to do it. And along with that desire, Lord, I don't have, I can't pull myself up by the bootstraps. I can't, I don't have the strength or the power to change my heart and life. Only you can do that. And so we cry out to you, Jesus, and say, by your spirit who lives in me, give me the power. Change my life. Transform my life. And make it more like Jesus. That I might be useful in your hands in greater ways. Amen. The third aspect of grace that I'd like to share this morning is supernatural enabling grace. It comes out of 2 Corinthians 9 uh, and 2 Corinthians 12. Um, supernatural enabling grace, and, and it really is abounding grace, is what the scripture is going to say. It's a supernatural enablement, a supernatural empowerment. It's, it, or in the second scripture we're going to look at, it's God's sufficiency. He is able, in other words, it's His sufficiency that can do it in me. So, 2 Corinthians 9 8, this is one of my all time favorite scriptures. I learned a lot of my theology from listening to GT and the Halo Express. Are any of you old enough to remember those tapes with our kids? <laughs> And there's a song out of 2 Corinthians 9.8. It says, And God is able, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work, in every good work. God is able. God is able to do that. It's supernatural enabling and he does it in me. And so God is able to make all, all grace abound to you. God is able so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you don't, you don't go buy it at Walmart. You go to the throne of grace. Having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As I was looking at that throughout the week here, actually, I'll give you the context. The context of that is actually financial giving, but the principle extends to all, the area, all areas of our life because Paul relates generously. God relates generously to us, and Paul relates that generosity back to grace. But as I was reading this several times over the week, the Lord said, you know all those questions you always ask when you come to something? Who, what, where, when, how, how why, however many there are? That, that scripture answers them all. Who? God is able. I can't. God can. Who? God is able. What? To make all grace abound. It doesn't just make all grace abound. He makes all grace abound to you. That's the what. Where? Well, so that in all things, wherever, you know, so that in all things, when? Well, at all times. All these alls, I just get so excited about all these alls. He doesn't leave anything out. His grace is that sufficient. 
So where? So that in all things, when? At all times? How? How is he going to do all this? I don't know. But having all that you need, having all that you need, you're going to abound in every good work. You're not just going to get by. You're going to abound. It's an abounding grace. God is able so that you will abound in every good work. Amen. Whew. So that is if we're, that's, that's the good work part of abounding grace, supernatural enabling grace. That's the good works part. There are also times that we need to be supernaturally enabled when we're facing difficulties and hardships and trials. And that's what 2 Corinthians 12.9 says. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for his power is perfected in my weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power power and the desire to do his will may rest on me. The next verse, I don't have it on a slide, but the next verse goes on to say, that is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, it gives God the opportunity to be strong on your behalf. I usually don't do this either, but just for curiosity's sake, any of you here weak enough? That's the, only That's the only prerequisite. Your weakness. Man, that's me. When I am weak, he can be strong. When I am weak, his power can do it in, in me and through me. My grace is sufficient for you. So that covers the part of the in all things and at all times. It includes hard times. It includes hardships. In, it says, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Grace that helps us in our weaknesses. Grace that is sufficient so we can endure difficulties. Grace that empowers us to change because it's God power in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Let's bow our heads again and respond to that piece of scripture. Lord, we approach your throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We need supernatural enabling grace. Grace to abound in every good work. Lord, that's the, that's the power to do. You call us to do things that are way beyond our ability, way beyond our strength, way beyond our gifting. That's so you can look good. So that you can prove yourself strong. And so, Lord, we ask for that supernatural enabling grace to do what we cannot do, but that you desire to do through us. And Lord, then there are also times, besides the power to do, there's the power to endure. We find ourselves in times of difficulty. We find ourselves in time of hardship, persecutions and insults, and we find ourselves weak. And Lord, it's during those times that we cry out for your grace and say, Lord, help us endure. 
Make us strong. Help us know that you tell us that you'll get, you'll get us to the other side when we walk through the valley of the shadow. We go through it because you are with us. And so your grace is sufficient. And in our weakness, you make us strong. In Jesus' name, amen. The fourth and final point is uh, Paul's expression of grace that was given to him. And I want to relate it back to us. Paul had an expression of grace given to him, and God gives us grace as well for different things. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says this, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. (laughs) I have a pastor friend who, when he says something that might convict you, he says, Let me be uh, 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 the ability for you to walk out grace today. Because I am what I am, and you might get offended by me, so let me be your opportunity to live in grace. I want, Why did I say that? I shouldn't have said that. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Notice it was the grace of God working in him, not him working up pulling himself up by the bootstraps, not doing it on his own. And he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, you are what you are. He makes us all different, praise God. I would hate anybody to be like me. I want you to be you. God wants you to be you. And God wants the grace he's given you to be expressed to a world of your sphere of influence. Because you will meet people and know people that I'll never have a chance to know or meet. You're special. God loves you. And his grace is there for you. So by the grace of God, we are what we are. But then he goes on to say, and that grace to me was not without effect. In other words, the grace that God gave you, the grace that God has put in you, is having an effect on your life, and it it, uh, uh, propels you into doing good works for him. There's a grace in you that is pushing you forward to to be what God's designed you to be and helping you represent him well in the earth. And it's his power in you that is is effective. His power in you is effective. He's changing you and he's making you more like Jesus. And in that process, you are also touching other people's lives with the love of God. And so you are what you are, praise God. And the grace of God in you is having an effect to touch people's lives in the world because you represent him by the love of God. And then he says this, And this grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. The grace of God was working effectively in him and in us to become what God has designed us to be. All we need to do in this is to yield to that grace, to call out for that grace. It is the grace of God working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Yield to that grace in your life. And then Ephesians 3.8 says this, Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me, Paul speaking again, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul, I like this verse, Paul describes himself as the least of all God's people. Now we see him as this giant apostolic guy which he, I mean, he did those things. 
But basically what I think one of the ways you could uh, understand this particular verse is Paul is describing himself as the least of all God people. He's basically saying the grace of God in me can be, if the grace of God in me can be powerful and effective, man, the grace of God in you can be just as powerful and effective. He's not leaving any of us out. In fact, he's saying that so we'll all include ourselves in the reality that the grace of God is in you and that grace of God will have an effective work through you. So he said, "If man, I, I, he persecuted people, he had people killed, he did all those things, but now the grace of God came in and it changed his life, and now he has an effective witness for God. That's what he does with all of us. Don't, don't count yourself out, brothers and sisters in Christ. God's grace is powerful and effective in you to influence those around you with the love of God. Love people with the love of Jesus. The grace of God is working in us all, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I remember every time I read this verse, I ask myself this question. This grace of God was given to me. What, God, what do you give me the grace of God for? And you can apply that to lots of areas of your life. God, why did you give me the grace of God as a father? Remember in Father's Day. How can I express your grace as a father? How can I express your grace as a husband? How can I express your grace as a child of God? Paul was doing it for his vocational ministry. When I was first reading this back many years ago, I, I realized God was giving me grace to be the best possible teacher and witness I could be in the public school system. I taught school for four years. And God just said, Jeff, I want you to take who I've made you, the grace of God in you, and be a witness in the school system because that every place that you go needs light and you need to do that in the schools four years later he said Jeff I want you to be a pastor and so for the last oh my I'm getting old for the last almost 40 years I've been uh, the I feel like the grace of God has called me to, to share with people the love of Jesus and to preach his word in this capacity I'm I'm quickly entering a new season in my life and I'm transitioning into that I, I I'm getting older, but you couldn't tell. It's, 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 there's a little gray here. So I, I'm entering into a new season of God wanting to be, express his love to others in some way, shape, or form. Through all of that, as I've processed who God's made me to be, because he gives us all different gifts. He gives us all different skills, all different abilities. And the one thing that has been kind of consistent through prior to my even becoming a school teacher was the Lord spoke to my heart. And he said, Jeff, wherever you go, I want you to be an encourager to the brothers and sisters in Christ. 20 years ago when he called Debbie and I here to Madison, I said, God, there's lots of good churches there. I want to live out in the country. And he said, I want you to go and be an encourager. In fact, one of the things he said to me is, is, in my heart, he said, I want you to encourage every, not just person, but every ministry I have you come in contact with. God's called me to be an encourager. His grace is sufficient in you to be what he's called you to be. You don't have to be an encourager. 
I won't go there. I get off on rabbit trails when I preach, and I get, they're usually good rabbit trails, but I end up saying to the congregation, would somebody shoot that rabbit? I mean, God, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, God's called you to be something. By the grace of God, you are what you are. His grace made you that way. So be the best of that that you can be for his honor and glory and use the giftings that he's given you wherever you go, whatever you do, to bring the love of Jesus to the people he sends you to as you serve them in whatever capacity that might take. Oh, I was going to say that's a picture of my brain, but that's not nice. Um, one, the last scripture, the last slide I had up there was going to be this. What has this grace been given to you for? What's, what, what has God called you to be? How has the Father made and gifted you? Uh, this is another way you could ask that question. How has the Father made and gifted you to love and serve others? How has the Father gifted you to love and serve others? Let's go to the throne of grace and ask him. Let's pray. Father, we come to your throne of grace again. And, and one of the things it says there in Hebrews 4 is that uh, to receive grace to help us in our time of need. So, Lord, begin to reveal in greater ways what we've been given your grace for. How have you made us? Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. Each of us are what we are by your grace. You've gifted us differently. We all have different gifts and abilities, and we all are just as valuable in your sight as anybody else. Each gift is just as valuable as anybody's. But Lord, help me get a fresh revelation from your spirit as to that thing that motivates me to love and to serve others. And that can take lots of forms. For me, it was to be an encourager. I was an encourager as a teacher. I'm an encourager as a pastor. Hopefully, my kids can testify that I was an encourager as a father. I'm an encourager as a friend. I like to encourage people that I don't know. But that's just my example. God, reveal your heart to each one here this morning as to what motivates them and to use that motivation to love you and others and to serve you by the grace of God. And so, Lord, I'll close with this prayer. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of close. Lord, continue to show us that your grace is available to us to empower us to do what you've called us to do. And we thank you that your grace has many facets. We thank you for saving grace, your unmerited favor. We thank you for sanctifying grace, the desire and the power to do your will. We thank you for supernatural enabling grace, that we can abound in every good work and that you will strengthen us in our weaknesses to endure difficulties and hardships. May your grace in us help us become and do all that you've called us 
to do and to be. And Lord, may this uh, short time together act as a primer, prime the pump in our understanding and your revelation of grace, that we might live more fully in it for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. As I was, as I was uh, preparing this morning before church, um, the Holy Spirit led me to a, a quote. I, I, I like to collect quotes on grace. and I went, So this isn't in a slide. You're going to have to listen to it closely. But this is a quote by a man named Graham Cook, if some of you are familiar with Graham Cook. And he defines grace this way. Grace is the empowering presence of God that enables you to become the person that God sees when he looks at you. Let that sink in a minute. <laughs> Grace is the empowering presence of God that enables you to become the person that God sees when he looks at you. We used to sing a song that... Um, that says what God sees when he looks at me is he sees Jesus. And when God looks at you, he sees you as perfected, forgiven, whole, perfect in him. And, and grace is the empowering presence of God that enables you to become, there's power there, the person that God sees when he looks at you, the person he's intended and designed you to be. Amen. I'd invite you all to stand. I, I want to pray a blessing over us all. So if you can just stand and then I'll turn it over to Lance. Um, did a whole teaching about a year and a half ago on what benediction meant. Benediction just means blessing. And it was so cool at, the, at your youth service in Verona. I think it was Matt had everybody stand up the end, at the end and extend their hands and, and, and bless people. And that's, I went, that's cool. That's, that's what we've been trying to do. So the scripture says that if you're a, a, a child of God because of Christ, that you have a high priestly role. He said he's made us a kingdom of priests, scripture says. And part of the things that priests did was to bless the congregation. And we know number six is the great high priestly blessing. I'm not, I didn't write it up there. I don't want you, I just want you to extend your, if you want to, turn around. Extend your hands towards us. Anybody you want to. And I'm going to, say, I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over us as a congregation. And we as the priests of God to bless each other. This blessing is biblical. It's out of Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. And this is the blessing God has for us this morning. Now to him who is able to, to do immeasurably more than all we ask or all we imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, that's his grace. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. God bless you all. I gotta do this one more time. Woo! Ben. Let's give it up for Jeff this morning. A great teaching on grace. Amen. Love it. 
Thanks, Jeff, for blessing us this morning. Such a great primer. We're getting ready to go into a sermon series called NBC Mission 555. Um, we're going to choose five networks of people within our influence, our circles of influence, and then five tasks and believe in God for five people each individually. We're going to kick that off, and we couldn't do it. It's not natural to share the gospel. It's hard. It's difficult, especially if you're an introvert, and that's just not your thing, you know, to talk to people. But it's God's enabling grace, amen, his supernatural grace. So my prayer has been the same as Acts 4.13. It said that 5,000 people were added to the church. Um, Peter and the disciples, they just ministered healing to a a lame man um, at the temple. And now they're before the consul. And the the people in the consul said, these are common, ordinary men, but we must take note they have been with Jesus. So let others believe that about us. We're just common, ordinary people, but God, God's grace. Amen.